Well, friends, our scripture lesson today is taken from the Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 20, verses 1 through 16. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for the usual daily wage, he sent them into his vineyard. When he went about nine o'clock, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And he said to them, you also go into the vineyard and I will pay you whatever's right. So they went. When he went out again about noon and about three o'clock, he did the same. And about five o'clock, he went out and found others standing around. And he said to them, why are you standing here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you also go into the vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his manager, call the laborers and give them their pay, beginning with the last and then going to the first. When those hired about five o'clock came, each of them received the usual daily wage. Now when the first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received the usual daily wage. And when they received it, they grumbled against the landowner, saying, these last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for the usual daily wage? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last the same as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me, or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. Well, you know, one of the things that we are taught, I mean, you were, it used to be one of the rules, right? You don't talk about politics or, or religion. And, and one of the other things you kind of learn, or most workplaces have this rule, you don't discuss your salaries, all right? So they always sit there and say, don't discuss your pay. Don't, don't be talking about what your bonus check was last year. Don't, don't talk about this. And I know this is true around here. I got to tell you, I really think that, that half the parishioners would rather confess to like an extramarital affair than tell me what their pay was last year. You know, that is the untouchable subject. They don't like discussing salary. So people read this story, and they immediately jump to the end, and they jump to this question of, was it fair to pay these people all the same, regardless of how long they worked? They jump right to the end. Because, you know, we may not understand it when Jesus tells farming parables, and we may not understand it when Jesus tells fishing parables, but we understand salary. We understand wages. We understand that. And so get to the end of the story and people are saying, what is going on that at the end, the people who came at five o'clock with one hour left in the day received the same wage as everyone else? But what I want to talk about this morning is something that happens a few verses before this. Because I I think that the real lesson here is that it is difficult to assess fairness from a snapshot of life. See, sometimes we look at things, we look at what happened, we look at a a slice of of life's situation and say, that doesn't seem fair. 
But fairness is hard to assess in that moment. You need to look at the bigger picture. You need to consider a longer time frame in order to think about what's fair. And if we go back a few verses, I want to talk about that and say there's a couple things that we learn from a couple verses earlier that I think matter. The verse I want to focus on is this. When the person who's doing the hiring goes out, finds these workers who have not who are just standing around, and he says to them, why are you standing here idle all day? That word idle in Greek has this connotation of lazy. Why are you standing here lazy? Why have you been lazy all day? It's a presumption that somehow, the fact that they aren't working is their fault. So that's the question that goes out. Why aren't you working? Implicit, you lazy bum. Why aren't you working? And that question, as we know in our society, is fraught with all kinds of possibilities that have nothing to do with the character of the person who doesn't have a job. Who knows why these workers hadn't been picked? Okay, maybe they did get up late that day and they were at the end of the line or something like that. So maybe that's what happened. Or maybe they didn't have the right look of the per for the person who was doing the hiring. Maybe they were from a different town, a different ethnic group, a different whatever, a different neighborhood, had different friends from the person who was, who was doing the hiring before, and so they didn't get picked. Maybe someone just said, you know, they don't look like very good workers. Whatever looks like good workers means. And those are things that are fraught with all kinds of presumptions that we make about people. And they answer, they go, look, we're not lazy. No one hired us. We're not lazy. No one gave us a job. We've been trying to work. We want to work. We are looking for work and nobody hired us. The unfairness that we focus on at the end of the story has an origin in an unfairness that happened long before, which was they didn't get the chance to work. We look at the unfairness of why are they being paid the same as the others when they only worked one hour, and there was an earlier unfairness of why didn't everyone just get hired? Why didn't everyone just get brought in? Why do we focus on the pay and not sit there and go, I don't know, landowner, your personnel department is falling down on the job. You had all these people who were clearly standing around ready to be hired at the beginning of the day. You ended up paying everybody the same amount for one day. You could have gotten a full day's work out of everybody. And you didn't. See, if I look at this story, if I'm running this business, I'm kind of upset with the person who's managing the hiring process. The unfairness had happened before the place where we see it. And that happens an awful lot in life. It's one of the lessons we need to keep in mind. We look at a situation and we say, boy, that doesn't look fair. And we have to ask ourselves, yes, but is the root of this unfairness something that happened earlier? 
is the root of unfairness in society cast a lot earlier when schools aren't equal to give kids educational opportunity that is balanced across areas. The unfairness comes early. And sometimes the unfairness of life goes up and down within our own lives. And we have periods of, of our living where it seems like things are very unfair to us. And then somehow in the course of the larger story, in the scope of the whole thing, it turns around. And at the end of the day, we find that the overall sweep was perhaps even more than fair. You know, I think a lot of you know some of the story of one of the most recognizable corporate spokespersons in history. Kind of, in some ways, invented a little bit of the making yourself your brand, you know, making the person the brand, all right? And it was Colonel Sanders, okay? He, he really was a pioneer in making himself the brand of the company. Now, a lot of people have heard parts of his story, uh, mostly the fact that he made his success later in life. Okay. But a lot of his story is kind of fascinating. So he had what we would consider a very unfair younger life. When he was young, um, his, his mom had gotten divorced and gotten remarried, and his stepfather was not apparently a very nice person. And he ended up trying to figure out how to leave home. He actually lied about his age in order to be able to, to enlist in the army in World War I. He was a little too young, but he lied about, about his age to get in there. He comes out of the army, and he's trying to make a living. So he's doing different kinds of businesses, and he runs this little, um, a little roadside thing that he turns into a motel and a restaurant in the late 30s. And it's in this little motel roadside restaurant that he develops a recipe for fried chicken. And not only is it the recipe that mattered, it was the fact that he basically invented this technique of pressure cooker fried chicken. And the, uh, the flavor infuses, it cooked faster. It was using the massive pressure cookers that they use as kind of their, their secret. So he invents this. And, and business is pretty good. He's getting good reviews. You know, people who are writing in newspapers saying, oh, you know, if you're traveling along this road, stop at this place and have their, have their chicken really good. There's only one problem. It's a roadside motel and restaurant. And World War II comes. And gas rationing happens. And gas rationing kind of killed the driving road trip. And the gas rationing put him out of business. And so he goes bankrupt. Unfair. Turn of life, you know, I mean, this wasn't, certainly we had to win, I mean, we had to win the war, but we don't remember little victims along the way of doing that. You know, we think about the people who went and fought, and of course they were brave, and, and there were casualties, tremendous numbers of persons who were fighting for freedom, but then you had persons who suffered in a different way. You know, the need to, to put fuel toward the war effort cost him his livelihood. So the war ends. And he still has not forgotten how to make really good chicken. 
And in 1952, he f opens his first franchise. So he starts a little chicken place again, opens a franchise in 1952. And in 1952, when he sells that first franchise, he is 62 years old. Okay. So a lot, a lot of people, I think, have heard that story. Because he's one of the big stories of persons who made it, who just persevered, persevered, persevered through unfair circumstances, and then made it late in life. But there's another part of the story that you might not know. I think it's a little less well-known. After about a decade, it becomes overwhelming for him. Because he's now an early 70-something with a bunch of franchises. So he sells the franchise operation couple million dollars, which is a lot of money, you know, back, it's still a lot of money, I mean, don't get me wrong, okay, but it was even more then. But there's a little piece of the story. He, when he sold the franchise rights, he only sold them in the United States. He kept the franchise rights in Canada. And what he did with his Canadian profits, he gave it to charity. He said, I'm a millionaire. He said, he wrote in his memoirs about this, he says, I saw no purpose in being the richest man in the cemetery. <laughs> what good would that be? So the profits from his Canadian franchises, he gave them to various charities ranging from the Boy Scouts to the Salvation Army. And because he had had a tough upbringing, he adopted... 78 foreign orphans. 78 foreign orphans he adopted in his 70s because he had the wherewithal to do this. When you look at that life, if you look at any single slice, it seems unfair. He had an unfairly bad childhood. Unfair, bad break in his first business. Then, kind of unfairly good, as he makes millions off fried chicken. All right? These various slices of his life don't necessarily seem fair. You have to look at the whole picture. And then you need to understand something about this story that is really important. It's never too late to have things work out, to realize your potential. See, what I love about this story isn't focusing on the unfairness of the, um, of, of the, the five o'clock people getting a full day's wage. I prefer to think about it in a different way, which is that even at five o'clock, when those workers had no reasonable expectation of being able to get a daily wage, and understand what the daily wage meant that day. It wasn't about getting your daily wage and then being able to apply Dave Ramsey's principles to it and, and, and take a part of it and put it in your 403B and put another part of it into your education savings account for your kid. It wasn't that. The usual daily wage for a worker at that time was enough to put food on the table that day. 
There wasn't this, how much of it am I going to save for retirement? How much of it am I going to save for a trip to Disneyland? How much am I going to do with that? No, a daily wage fed your family for a day. And at 5 o'clock, these people had no reasonable expectation that they would be able to have enough to feed their families that day. And yet, it happened. Some people, I mean, I don't, I'm, I don't feel in my life that I'm at 5 o'clock, but I think it's a good solid 3, 3.30, with daylight savings time ending. It's not too late to have your potential realized if it hasn't been already. Some folks have the blessing of finding the sweet spot of living into their potential early. Some folks have the, what seems like a blessing and then the curse. We see this with professional athletes of finding it early and losing it. Some folks won't find it until the mid to late afternoon of their lives. But no matter where you are on the clock, I think the lesson of the story isn't an argument about fairness, or it's one of the lessons. But one of the lessons is to say that no matter where you are on the clock, the opportunity to realize full potential is there. And it never is too late. As long as we continue to persevere through what seems like bad break after bad break or, or what seems like missed opportunities that came before. He could have easily thought that when that his, Colonel Sanders could have easily thought that when he lost his little restaurant in World War II, he had lost his chance to ever be a successful restaurateur. But he didn't. The potential is always there. Because God is always in charge. And God in this story was the landowner. God in this story was going to keep offering people chances until, until their potential was realized. Let us pray. Almighty and gracious God, we are so grateful to be your people. We're grateful that you created us in your image and that within that image lies the potential to do amazing things in your name. Some of us have had the chance to do some great things and perhaps more lie ahead. Some of us haven't yet found that thing. But we don't give up. No matter what time it is, in the clock of our lives, we don't give up because you never give up on us. So help us to persevere, to not worry about whether life seems fair now, but to understand that fairness is a bigger picture. And as we hope for that big picture for ourselves, help us to be people who give that same grace to others. That as we look at others, we, we not 
judge them or write them off as, as not being able. But rather, we look at each person we meet and see them as a fellow child of God with the ability, the potential to do more than what they believe for themselves, what we believe for them, but not more than what you believe for them. So help us to go forth into the world to unleash the potential you have created us with. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.